0: Our guest this week on the Kill Coin Conversation prompted by a visit with Mike Martz, recent guest on the show as well, former head coach of the St. Louis Rams, and also my buddy Matt Offenberg with Offenberg Hyundai, who every time I do something Rams related, he said, you need to be the media historian for some of these stories. that will get forgotten over the years because there were so many notable players, big games, Losing seasons, yes, we had a lot of those too, but Matt's always saying, yeah, the more Rams content, there's there's an audience for it, and our Mike Martz interview got a lot of hits on Dan Ma- Danny Mack's website, a lot of feedback on that, having him back in town, so it got me thinking about just Rams' story, somebody who was in that building at Rams Park as much as anyone, so our guest is Steve Savard, who was the play-by-play voice of the Rams for 16 seasons. He started in 2000 and then did it till their final season of 2015. And I've never really talked to him about the exit, whether it was an option for him to go to L.A., if that was even on the table, to to continue to be the voice of the Rams. I know he's been critical at times. He'll chime in. I shouldn't say Steve's not known for being critical, but I know he he would chime in at times when people were mad at Kroenke. And he would weigh in on that. So I know his loyalty was clearly to St. Louis and not to the Rams organization. And we talk about that. I asked him whether he'd had any dealings with Enos, also known as Stan Kroenke. But more so the fun stories, traveling with the team in the booth with Jack Snow, becoming extremely good friends with Jack Snow, and working with Jim Hannafin in the booth. And and we joked during this visit, which is probably about a 30-minute visit, I said, we could do four hours of Jim Hannafin stories and it's still not enough time. So it's stories about beating the booth, calling games, the Mike Martz era, the Mike Martz ending, the Rams losing the Super Bowl. Did anyone see that thing coming? Uh, fun football conversation with Steve Savard. Coming to you from the Pasta House studios, when you're thinking about grabbing dinner, if you got time to cook, it's great. When you don't, keep the Pasta House in mind. Great meals to go that will feed the entire family mentioned it on Sundays. If you're out running around at a game, kids eat free. One kid per adult eats for free every Sunday at the Pasta House. You can check out the menu at pastahouse.com. 18 area locations since 1974. And what's really important, and I, I can attest to this, when Carson and I run up to the Pasta House and eat, everything is fresh. And they'll they'll walk you through the kitchen. Not you, but hopefully hopefully not everyone's walking through the kitchen. But I know when I was visiting, they said, come on in the kitchen, we want to show you. Every ingredient starts fresh every day. There's nothing pulled out of the freezer, nothing warmed up from yesterday. All fresh, all the time. You can taste the difference. If you haven't been to the pasta house in a while, stop by your neighborhood pasta house. Longtime sponsors of the Kilcoyne Conversation include Triad Bank, B&G Tuck Pointing, Appliance Discounters, and Marie Davila Senior Living. Shout out to... Fred and Mary Kay Wiesahan at Marie DeVilla. I was there for the Christmas lighting last week. They lit the tree. Ozzie Smith, Jackie Smith, Al Robotsky. So many great former players were there to take part in the festivities. There were live reindeer. There were donkeys. We had Santa. It's unbelievable how festive they are at Marie DeVilla. If you want to get a great picture for Christmas by a giant tree, just stop by there. Corner of Clayton and Wideman Road in West County. It's believed to be the largest outdoor tree in all of St. Louis, West County. Great people. MarieDeVilla.com is where you can take a virtual tour and learn more about senior living options. Triad Bank, neighborhood-friendly bank, right there on Clayton Road in Frontenac. Second location on Olive, just west of 270. They're on the web at TriadBanking.com. They really are the neighborhood-friendly bank. Appliance discounters, where you can get the washer dryer stove refrigerator you've been talking about all year why not get it for the holidays get the biggest brand names at the lowest prices start that search at the appliance and b and g tuck pointing the best in the bricks so if you have a brick home garage place of business you know what it's like when the tuck pointing starts to fall apart it needs to be fixed so that building that home looks new again they also do waterproofing Foundation Repair, BG, TuckPointing.com or 363-0525, 314-363-0525 is the number to call. We appreciate all of our great sponsors. And now let's get to it, the visit with Steve Savard. And it is the one, the only, Steve Savard. I never called him Sevy because I wasn't Malcolm or Jack Snow. I never felt privileged enough to say Sevy, although many people did. Did Jack start that?
1: He did. Uh, Rick Smith, uh, Ram's old PR uh, vice president, thought he did. And I had to correct him uh, <laughs> a couple years ago in a conversation. I said, no, that was all Jack. That was uh, Jack Snow. And I, I still love it. It's funny, Martin. After, if I go to St. Louis and people recognize me, it's about 50-50. Some will say Steve. Some will say, hey, you're the guy from the news. And then uh, others will say Seve. And I love Chevy because it reminds me of a really great time. And my good friend gave me the... Uh, the nickname and he was really really happy that it he stuck he, he really enjoyed that
0: well and when i think about the rams years it's funny like there's a lot of talk now because they're divvying up the nfl money and then you look back and say god there were so many losing seasons and it was brutal and you know we did i did coaches shows you did coaches shows but for some reason in my mind i kind of remember the good stuff you know seeing hanny in the booth with you or on the plane where Jack Snow might have been smoking in the back of the plane when you're not supposed to. Isn't it funny? Like, there wasn't a lot of crappy football, but I just kind of remember some of the moments, and I, there were still a lot of fun times squeezed into the, in between the bad.
1: My first five years, it was like a, you know, first four or five years was like a dream. I stepped into it. Mike Martz coined the phrase special time, special place. I never took it for granted. I knew that in the NFL, just things weren't supposed to be that easy and be that fun and be that automatic i never i didn't imagine though when we left the georgia dome after a 2004 uh divisional round playoff loss to michael vick and the falcons when vick and warwick dunn ran for 300 plus yards on the Rams, i never i never thought i would be doing 11 more years of Rams football without a winning season or without another playoff appearance but i was lucky i stepped into it right in the middle of the greatest show on turf and um i've never taken any of those times for granted but um what was your first? What was your first year traveling with the Rams?
0: First year traveling might not have been to like either two thousand two thousand one. We didn't. The first few years I was in town and we carried the games, but I don't remember exactly when it would have been. I think it was towards the end of the Marts era.
1: Well, the reason I bring it up is because pre nine eleven, I mean, we there was a routine. We would take off, and as soon as we level off, and the pilot would come on and say, "You know, you're free to get up and move around." There goes Jack, and there goes Hannafin in the back alley. And there would be so much white smoke coming out of the back if you think a pope was being elected. (laughs) I mean, it was just unbelievable. And um, that went on, you know, my first two years on the broadcast before I was play-by-play in 98, 99, and then 2000. But 9-11 changed it. But Jack, you know, his smoking produced some hilarious moments for us. Uh, Jim Stossi, our executive producer, and I used to take great pleasure on Monday nights after the coaches' show. In in hiding his cigarettes, Jim even got to a point where he started writing, uh, calling Jack names on his cigarettes, and he would just flip out. The one time we were in Arizona, it almost got him arrested. It was back in the days when the Cardinals were playing in Sun Devil Stadium. They They always had us out there in the early 2000s in September, like the first home game. It's 177 degrees and all the Rams fans are in the full, full sun for the game on those hot metal bleachers, college stadium. So we, about halfway through the first quarter, Jack's doing his usual smoke two-packs during the game, and in walks an Arizona trooper, state trooper, and he says, put the cigarette out. This is no smoking. Don't, don't do it again. <laughs> he comes in about three times. And at halftime, we chided Jack and said, look, put it down. Okay, just just try to go a quarter without it. Well, he smokes again in the third quarter. The trooper comes in. He taps Jim Stasi, our producer, on the, the shoulder and says, have you ever broadcast before? Because if I come back in here one more time, he that guy's leaving in handcuffs. And, um, you know, that, I think that got <laughs> Jack's attention. But there were many, many times where we get knocked on the door and say, is somebody smoking in there?
0: And that was so that was in during the game in Arizona. <laughs>
1: oh, during the game, yeah. And then you remember upstairs on the fifth floor, where where we would broadcast and where the coaches' booths were. The restroom at the end of the hall was pretty small. There was um, not much, not much place to do your business, so the line always stacked up. Jack would go in there. There was a little broom closet, a little storage closet, and you'd go in there before, by an hour before kickoff, and. You'd see white smoke coming out from under this closed door. And he'd walk back in the booth, and I said, Did you really think you fooled anybody? You you not know you were in there? What are you talking about, Seb? I don't know what you're talking about.
0: Did you guys hit it off immediately? I mean, you guys both liked to golf, right? And you guys both had perfect hair. I'm trying to think, like early on. I mean, <laughs> you, well, you were sideline in 99, right? So you were part of the, the Super Bowl 98, coverage.
1: 98, Yeah. 98, 99. Yeah. Um, Jack Hank Bauer, the crazy former Charger, yeah. who was a long time on their broadcast as the color analyst, he used to call us uh, Jack Sr. and Jack Jr. He says you two look like <laughs> father and son. He said, you know, you got the same hairstyle. So Jack and I, I didn't meet Jack the first year they were in town. But the second year, uh, you remember the routine up at Western Illinois for training camp? You'd eat at Thompson Hall, and then you people kind of gather outside. And, of course, we'd get busy because... We'd have 10 o'clock shows and 10 o'clock packages to produce. But Jack stopped me one day in 96 and just struck up a conversation with me. He said, Hey, man, I like the way you carry yourself. I hear you used to play ball in this. And yeah, it didn't amount to much in the NFL. He said, That doesn't matter. And he said, uh... and So we kind of struck up and I said, Hey, do you, you know, I do a Sunday night show. Would you ever? He goes, Yeah, about any time you want. So we became friends in 96. And then it, the bond just solidified when uh, we started working together and we became very very close friends.
0: So yeah Jack Snow, who is a character, clearly in his own right, and then Hannafin becomes part of the routine. And now we're talking about a character on steroids. I mean, how did were you laughing half the time with stuff he would and how did he not swear on the air? I mean, I know he did he a did. lot of Martin this was this was
1: the, this was the greatest. The one thing about Hannie was he had this knack for waiting until I absolutely paused so everybody could hear him say, oh, and it was the four-letter word that began with S-H. <laughs> and he didn't even know he'd do it. He'd, I'd say, oh, shotgun snap over Bulger's head. And I'd pause for a moment. And he'd go, oh. <laughs> and so Steam he never man. believed. We'd, we'd go to commercial break, and we would chide him and say, Jim, you, you did it again. I did? What did I say? So he never believed we did it. Well, at the end of one year, Jim Stassi put together on a loop all of his greatest hits. And it was just like 20 S H blank blank in a row
0: would they get did you get hit the delay so they didn't go out
1: hey we were martin in those days we were on the biggest delay i believe ever in the history of live broadcast football
0: (laughs) as needed we were
1: we were relying remember it was that this was all after the when the fcc went crazy over the janet jackson Mm -hmm. Justin timberlake wardrobe malfunction super bowl halftime so they were threatening you know, quarter-million-dollar lawsuits, I mean, uh, fines for radio stations. So every radio station was super hyper-diligent at that time. And we were relying on a kid home on college break for the weekend making minimum wage to hit the dump button at the appropriate time. And so they couldn't afford they, – they just said they couldn't afford to risk it. So we literally – we were on a 12-second delay one season. It got so bad my mother said, you know what, son, I love listening to you, but I can't handle it anymore. You're way behind Right. You know,
0: so well, we we're so on she the would try and link up with the TV and the the radio, right? Yeah,
1: we we were on the longest delay ever, with <laughs> Hanny. But you know, it, I just never knew it was coming. It was it
0: was a lot of fun. Didn't he cramp up at a big moment to where he started screaming and people thought he was excited, but it was actually a leg cramp.
1: It's just, it's it's most people's favorite Hanny moment. we were in Arizona and uh, we're down. I think the score was I think the Durant had a one point lead. They had just fumbled the Rams. All they got to do is run up the clock, run three plays, punt the ball. Arizona be out of timeouts, and uh, they fumble the ball on the backfield. Arizona recovers at about the 30-yard line, and so we go to break. It's about a minute 50 left in the game. We're certain we're going to lose. We're down in the dumps, and, you know, I, you know, I may have pounded the table. Jim Stassi may have let out a four-letter word. And Hannafin stands up in the middle of it and says, And we're on break, in commercial break, he says, hey, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And I'm shaming you guys for giving up. And I said, what are you talking about? He goes, hey, they can fumble it back to us. And we're like, right, handy." So this is Kurt Warner going to hand the ball three times. Neil Rackers, who had a streak of not missing since Aquinas Mercy, going to come in and boot the game-winning field goal, and we're going home empty-handed. Second play back from commercial break, Kurt Warner pulls out, his guard steps on his foot. He can't make connection with the running back. They fumble the ball. We recover it. And Hanny jumps up and just loses his mind. And I was losing my mind on the call, too, because to me it was just unbelievable what was happening. It was probably the worst big play call I've ever made in my entire life. But you hear Hanny in the background going, I told you. I told you. What did I tell you? Oh, I'm cramping up. I'm cramping up. And we look over, and he's grabbing his hamstring. <laughs> and so, you know, I was on five different uh, Sirius XM morning football call-in shows the next day saying, weren't you worried about your partner? I said, hell no. He wasn't grabbing his heart. He was grabbing his leg. I knew he was fine.
0: <laughs> uh, he's unbelievable. And, I, you know, the, he did have a way of not swearing because he's a, golly gee willikers or by golly. He had enough of those in his lexicon, I think, that he, that would be in lieu of a swear word. So he probably peppered those in, too. Jiminy Cricket,
1: but I mean, Jimmy, he', he yes. would say Jiminy Cricket a lot. And he'd say he'd just be disgusted. Sometimes we'd go to break and I said, "Handy, you didn't talk for the last five plays." He goes, "Steven." And Jim Hannafin and my mother are the only two people in my whole life who consistently call me Steven. Mm-hmm. Steven, I can't trust myself. I'm so disgusted. I can't <laughs> trust myself. My my favorite Handy story though is this. It was it's more about how much fun he was to be around away from the field. Most people know this because he was a big, tough, strong. But he had a heart of gold, and you know this, and he, he was very loyal to people. But the other thing about Jim Hannipin is he was super well-read. I mean, he was just a very bright, smart, intelligent man, and he loved to read novels. He would bring on the Rams trips about, he'd go through about three monster-sized novels a year. And he had a routine. We'd settle in, and you were on these trips. He'd be in the window seat, I'd be in the aisle seat, nobody between us. We'd get on board. We'd have all this food, you know, you'd, you'd have snacks, and by that time, then here comes the meal. We'd have the meal, and then as soon as the flight attendants would pick up the trays, he'd break out the book, start reading his novel, and he read it through a, 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 a magnifying glass that was roughly the size of <laughs> Cleveland, Ohio, and it was just a monster, it weighed about five pounds, and he... I. I About every 10 minutes I'd check, and he'd start, his head would kind of bob and nod, and then he's going to doze off, and this was like clockwork. And then I'd look, and I'd see, finally, the book would be down in his lap, and he'd be asleep. So then he'd come to about 20 minutes later, and he'd go, oh, damn it, Stephen. And I said, magnifying glass, Hanny? He said, yeah, magnifying glass. (laughs) So I'd unbuckle, and I'd go down on my hands and knees, and I'd dig. The magnifying glass out from the seat in front of him, <laughs> hand it back to him, and he'd go back to reading his
0: novel. Oh, he is absolutely. Clever. There's so, I mean, we could do a four hour show just with handy stories. Uh, I'm wondering, do you, like, when you look back, because Isaac, Tory Marshall, all these guys say it, and they're all going into Canton. So you know, this was a really good roster for a while, and they've all said, why didn't we win more? We should have won more. Did you ever think in New Orleans that week we were there after the old ones? Did you ever think for a second that they might lose that game to the Patriots? And then, kind of a related thought, because Brady and Belichick became historic. I've always thought, well, maybe that removes a little bit of the sting, and and the players say, absolutely not, doesn't change it at all. And, and that seemed to change everything for the Rams organization when they lost that game.
1: Everything. I mean, they, 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 these guys in the front office were once thick as thieves, and then everything splintered and broke apart. And it changed everything. I think if they win that Super Bowl, you know, they were 2003, had they played to their capabilities at home against Carolina in the divisional playoff round, they could have easily gone to Philadelphia the next year. We won there. They were supposed to have home field, and they blew it in a loss to Detroit in week 17. But they could have gone on, I think they could have won th- three or four Super Bowls in that run had they not lost that game to New England. You know who foreshadowed that, though? Mike March. Remember the Rams went up to New England Was it on a, a Sunday, Sunday night, night game? yeah, And won a tough slugfest 28-21 at New England. And I rushed down after the booth. Of course, you know, we all had Sunday night shows, and I had a long one. I had an hour at that time. So I rushed down, and I caught Mike coming out of the locker room. I said, can you join me live? And he said, sure. So Mike was on with me for five minutes. And he just, he said, um, I said, how big was the win? And he said, that's the best football team we'll play all year long. He said, they're going to be dangerous come playoff time. I said, you think they're going to make the playoffs? Because I think at the time they were just a a game above 500. He says they'll be in the playoffs. And he said, they may be in the Super Bowl. He called it. And then the Super Bowl week um, in New Orleans, he he said this 14-point spread. He said, we're going to win the game. You know, he was confident they're going to win. But he said the 14 point spread is crazy and ridiculous. So you know, in hindsight, maybe not as big an upset as people thought it would was, but you know had the game been called, I, I just really believe had the game really been called the way it is now with holding and um, illegal contact and everything else, I think the Rams would win that game.
0: Coach March, he liked you, right? I mean, a lot of us had up and down relationships was your I mean he was intense, hilarious, he was all of the above and you guys but you always got along right?
1: We had a great relationship, I and mean, we came into the jobs together. And uh, you described Mike very accurately. I mean, he had a he could blow, um, and then you know, thirty seconds later, he's right back on track. You know, and if he is mad or whatever, he blows. It was never directed at me. Um, no, we we got along great, and you know, he had a fun side to him. I mean, he had a really fun side to him that a lot of people didn't see, and um, he was part of our torture on Monday nights of Jack. No. I mean, from hiding his phone so that on Tuesday morning when he's doing his twenty seven call in shows around the country, he can't find the phone. He's calling us at home and cussing us out. <laughs> uh we put I think one time we put shoe polish or eye black on the phone receiver. So he had uh and March was in on almost all what are we gonna do this week to right. Jack? The ultimate one though, Martin, we went too far and I knew Jim Stassi went too far. Um He put, (laughs) we were, we were out of things to do to Jack. So he says, we're going to take the caster, one of the casters off his chair. Jack used to like to recline in that chair and lean back. I said, you can't do this. This is a guy with two bad hips and a bad back. He goes, we're doing it. Well, the next morning the phone rings at (laughs) six 30. My wife answers the phone and she used to, he always called her Athena. He said, Athena, put your blankety, 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 blank husband on the phone. He said, you know, I almost killed myself. He goes, you two juvenile delinquents. And so I hung up the phone. I never said anything. I was laughing so hard. So I called Stassi. And Stassi answers the phone laugh. He's crying. He's laughing so hard. He goes, you're not going to believe what he called me. And Stassi said, well, I just blamed it on March. So we waited on Wednesday when they reconvened for practice. We were out there. And we watched through the window. And while they're stretching, Jack walks over to March and points his finger at his face. And March is throwing up his hands like, I don't know what you're talking about. But uh, It's ingenious, point,
0: ingenious to blame the coach because then what's he, I was going to say he wouldn't yell at him, but actually Jack would.
1: Oh, Jack would. Yeah, Jack would. Yeah, no question. Mark, Mark thought that was the funniest thing in the world. We're glad he didn't get hurt. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was always that. He was, he was mad at Stoss and I a bunch of times. We were like the three musketeers. He was mad a bunch of times, but this one he was really, he was mad at a different level. I got to say, I can't blame him, but my original point was Mike had a very fun side. Now, if you're going to be around Mike, you're going to have to take some jabs. I mean, he liked to jab you, he liked to sting you, so you better have some thick skin.
0: Do you think the dysfunction led to bad picks? I mean, because you start looking at it, it's like some of the players they brought in weren't as good, like the just the personnel dropped off. And he told me he's living back in St. Louis now, and he said after we lost that Super Bowl, everything changed. He said it was just everything went sour. I know he and Jay Zygmunt were no longer friendly. He and Charlie Army kind of got sideways. But was it just – I mean, I, so there's dysfunction for sure. We talked about it. It was written about. But was also a lot of bad – just picks do you think that ultimately cost them in terms of talent
1: a couple things yeah it did splinter the organization you remember that mike went to hawaii with julie and 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 they cut their vacation short he was so he was so disturbed that i don't know if it was cut very short by a day or two um i i think that the problem was i think the problem even started occurring a little bit earlier even in in the season that season before they lost the super bowl i think they kind of lost their way in the draft i think they were I think there was a false sense of, well, this greatest show on turf window is going to be open for a long, long time. Um, and I think they started drafting um, out of luxury, not out of necessity, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And, and this is not meant as a shot at, at Trump Candidate. He had some monster games. I remember the game at the Meadowlands, mm. uh, the game in which the Rams were up big, and Mike you know, Mike created controversy by going for the onside kick. But Trunk had 195 yards rushing had like 220 yards of total offense. He was a talented guy. They just had more needs than that at that time. And so, and then you, you can point to the year in which they had, I think that was 2000, 2001, yeah. they had the three draft picks. And those guys ended up having nice NFL careers, but I think when you look back, they weren't all in St. Louis long enough and they didn't play at that kind of level. I mean, Adam Archuleta certainly played good football. Jimmy Kennedy did, although he was slow. Or I, I should say Ryan Pickett. and Damian
0: um, Lewis, yeah.
1: Damian Lewis. Damian Lewis played well. Um, but they never really panned out. So I, I think it was a little bit of everything there, the dysfunction, everybody not being on the same page. And I think some of those picks really were made out of almost luxury when they really should have been, okay, what are we going to need two years from now?
0: No, I think that's true. And Kennedy was oh three that was a that was a bad pick, just didn't turn out. how I'd say, how about doing the games though? and we would do pregame and then we would do coaches shows. I, it could really kind of beat you down. I mean, I wasn't part of the organization, but I tried every week to say, okay, if they're playing Carolina, let's just talk about the game. If they're playing Seattle, let's talk about who's good on Seattle. Like, we tried to focus on the matchup because if you looked up and said, oh, my God, they're 3-8 and eight, or they're 2-10, and 10, like, it, yeah. it could be. How did you do that as an announcer? Because you still got to get up for the game. It might be a big moment here. Maybe they'll win. But a lot of times you've just looked at the record. You're like, oh, shit, they're bad again.
1: Yeah, I mean that, that you know it here's the funny thing is that I've been 7 years removed now and I really miss it. I miss I miss being emotionally that emotionally invested like I watch games now and I'm I'm a big Kansas City Chiefs fan down here in Springfield. You might this might as well on Sundays be a suburb of Kansas City. Um but I, you know I'm not emotionally attached to a game like I was, you know, and there was some of that just as a fan and other was was pragmatic. We we as sports guests we want to work a winning locker room. We want to do a coacher show with a winning coach, you know, not not have to go through all that stuff. Um, so, but I, 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 even all, even all with that, you know, you're you're three and ten. It's November. You're on the bus after your team just got drubbed by thirty points. You got to figure out how you're going to get through the week and do a coacher show for an hour with the coach and do a player show and all that. I would still I would still love to be back in that situation. But the thing that I used to do is I used to just prepare that, you know, enough material in the fourth quarter that we really didn't have to talk about the game. Right. You know, it may be the side sidebar stories or it may be something about the team you're playing. Or, in the case of Hanny, I might just throw something out about, you know, hey, tell me about Conrad Dobler that day on Thanksgiving <laughs> Day when he lost his mind through the helmet into the stands or something like that. So you... For me, it was just kind of like preparing for the worst every week during
0: that stretch. Did you ever get to know Stan Kroenke? Would he come in the booth or I mean, I'm sure he was on a couple of our flights, but I think I met him one time because John Shaw introduced me, right when he took ownership. They were in New England, Sam Bradford's rookie summer, and John is like, Martin, come here, you gotta know Stan. He's great. And I was like And he he was awkward, you know, in terms of conversation, that's pretty yeah. well known. And then he said, well, 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 without Mr. Shaw, I wouldn't be an NFL owner. Thanks thanks for John and all this. And first of all, John went to a preseason game, so you know it was a big deal. Uh, right. But I had very little interaction with it. I just wonder, in your role, did you?
1: He was always very cordial. Our conversations were always very short. We were passing each other. John, he always had an entourage. Hmm. Those TSA guys, you got to know him yep. on the flights and everything. They are great guys. Still friends with some of those guys. Um he was in the booth right next to us, but there was really very little interaction. Like I said, it was always pleasant. It was, hi, Stan, how you doing? Having a good day? What are we doing? The one Stan Crocky story I have for you was in 99, we were in uh, the Super Bowl in Atlanta, and we were set up at the team hotel to do all our broadcasts, and we were waiting to do the 10 o'clock news live, and it was toward the end of the week. It was Friday night, and we had kind of exhausted most of our stuff, and so I was co-hosting with Larry Connors, who was our news anchor at the time, and so we would be fronting everything in the lobby of the hotel. and about 9.50, Stan Krawke walks in with some other people, and I just said, i got nothing to lose. And he was a minority owner. Then. But, you know, if I can get him at the top of the show, I think my boss is going to be pretty happy about this. And so I, I, I had to twist his arm, and I'm not usually a guy. I will take no for an answer, you know. I'm not usually that guy that says, oh, i got to have this interview. Shot at, Cusim- me- Shot
0: at Cusimano out of nowhere, just because. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think. I hey, think hey, Joe- let
1: me tell you something. I wish. There are times in my career I
0: wish I had a little more Cusimano. In um, I, I, one time there was a Joe Buck interview to be had. I forget what the topic was. And he had said, I really don't want to do it. And I said, no problem. I'm like, whatever. He's been great. Let it go. And then like a week later he does something with Frank. And I called him and he said, well, for God's sakes, he practically jumped out of my bushes. What do you want me to do? <laughs> so I said, well, uh, I said, okay, I concede. <laughs> So I, I talked, to, he, Cracky
1: said to me, hey, I've been at dinner, I've had a few glasses of wine. I said, you'll you'll handle this. I said, I'm the professional, let me do this. And he sat with me and did five minutes with me, or three minutes off the top of the show. And, of course, it went over well back with, it, it, at the home office. And so that was really my only time I really interacted with him much. Like I said, all, my, all our interactions after that were um, cordial, but very short. Didn't get to know him very well. I didn't think it was ever... Listen, I never knew Georgia. I don't. I think the only time—nine years Georgia was the owner—I was a play-by-play guy. I think the only time you recognized me is when I was with Jack. Mm-hmm. I think that's the honest to God the only time she ever recognized me, and it didn't matter to me. I didn't care. I didn't have to have a relationship with the owner to do my job or do my job well. So that's that was the kind of that was the attitude I took.
0: And so when they leave, you're a St. Louis guy. You were probably a big Red fan growing up, going to games at the old Bush, and now. But you're also the play-by-play guy, so. Was there ever a thought, hey, I'm going to go to L.A.? Or was it even offered? Or did, were you just pissed off like everyone else that said, I wouldn't even consider it?
1: Well, yeah, I was pissed off. Um, but, you know, I, I, that whole season I just kind of I, – I never, I, I never really believed – I thought the NFL would step in and say, I thought there would be at least a lame duck season. But when I read in early December when, when the relocation application and that work of fiction by their St. Louis-based attorney – was made public that's when i knew and that's when i knew i would be done and we walked out of the booth at, at santa clara typical under jeff fisher rams and i like fish very much i'm not a jeff fisher fisher basher at all um, but typical of the jeff fisher tenure at the end you know week 16 they go to seattle and shut down the hottest nfl team in the league jeff fisher's teams knew how to get after russell wilson so the next week he's in napa they play San Francisco, Glenn Gabbard makes the start, 49ers had won four games, and they beat the Rams, and just typical the way the thing would end. And I turned around, and DeMarco and I would do our post game. and I turned around, and I looked at the booth, and we'd walk on together and said, wait a minute, and I took a photo of the booth and the field, and I said, just for posterity's sake. And D says, you'll be back. And I said, no, I won't. And he looked at me, and he looked at me in the bus. Again, I called my wife, and I said, well, that's a hell of a way to go out. And she said, "You sure?" And I said, "Oh yeah, I'm sure." So when it happened, the next week or next week or two, you know, I, I laid very, very low. Everybody, I had Sports Illustrated calling me. I had uh, Bill Simmons, The Ringer, out in Los Angeles, that publication wanting to talk to me. I, and I, I laid low. And here's why I did it, Martin. I, I didn't want anybody feeling bad for me. I got paid and paid handsomely for 16 years to do that job. I loved the job. Even losing, I loved the job. I took it very seriously. But this was my second job. I knew I had, you know, a main source of income and benefits to fall back on. I felt bad for the people in the organization that were wrestling with the decision. Do I uproot my family and go to L.A.? Do I leave an NFL job and a potential down-the-road NFL pension? Those are the people I felt bad for. So I thought if I say anything, two things will happen, two scenarios. If I actually go full bore um, – eight cookies on these guys, and just drop the hammer, I'm going to sound like a whiner in a whiny B-I-T-C-H. Or if I don't go heavy enough, people are going to say, sympathize, you don't have St. Louis's back. I thought the best approach for me was just to be quiet. And so about a week into this, about a week after the decision was made, I called a couple of department heads that had been very good to me out there, including Molly Higgins, who I love to death. And I just said my goodbyes, and I made it very clear that I wasn't interested. Knowing Kevin, I mean, I, I don't. I, I, we never crossed that bridge whether it was possible. They may have wanted a clean start, and let me tell you something. The guy they got, J.B. Long, is fantastic. He is great. So they don't miss me, but I made it very clear about five or seven days after the decision was made that I was not under any consideration. My loyalties were in St. Louis.
0: Yeah, good for you. Well, I, I'm thinking of that. The story too in Seattle, they win that game they're seven and eight. And I went up to Chris Long and I I think it was on camera and I said, Hey, if you win next week, you guys finish the year eight and eight which now you and I know that would have been a hell of an accomplishment. And Chris just said yeah, do you get a parade for that? Because he was like, are you effing kidding me? Like, that's our bar. <laughs> like, And, of course, they didn't. They went 7-9. and nine, But I yeah. love – Fisher might have been the easiest coach to deal with. Now, Hazard was right up there. I wish he had won yeah. some games and been able to – Hazard was the most fun by far. He'd, yeah. tell, he'd tell you anything and everything. Anything and everything. And Fisher I, was the easiest to deal with. Like, didn't care about any of the stupidity, you know? Didn't, well, two
1: things. Yeah, I, I – I, I like Jeff because the means, the, the means uh, he was a means to an end guy. And um, I, I like Jeff a lot. He was great to work with. Um, I know there's a lot of misplaced anger. Jeff Fisher had nothing to do with the decision to move the Rams. You know, was he supposed to not take the job when they offered him $7 million a year for five years because they might be moving? He'd been through that before. But going back to Haslett, Jim Haslett, I mean, Haslett was just so unique. He was an open book. I mean, I. I've worked with coaches, and I think that I think I worked very hard to earn their trust, and, and they knew that I would never ever. And I think, you know, if I, I give myself, I don't give, I don't pat myself on the back, but I give myself any bit of credit. I think it's for being trustworthy and reliable and credible with them. But Hassett was the only guy that would see me as I get on the bus at the team hotel at eight o'clock in the morning and say, Come here and sit down with me. And he would just tell me everything that was going to happen today. You know, if it was the fourth play scripted from the first, we're going to have a fake punt, keep your eye out for the fake punt, we're going to go right. Um, one day we were at, we were at Rans park and I'm wearing my credential he had just taken over as the interim head coach and he flips my badge and he goes, why are you wearing that? And I said, well, he goes, aren't you the voice of the Rams? And I said, yeah, Jim, but I mean, I'm also a member of the media here and it looks bad. He goes, and, and I, and this was for me, it was out of respect to chief, um,
0: chief Lindsay yeah,
1: yeah, Dan Lindsay and, and, um, uh, the head of security. So he said, he said to me, he goes, hey, we're so bad right now, we should be paying you to be here, okay? I don't want to see the badge you get. <laughs> yeah.
0: um, That's hazel.
1: You, know, you know how close he, you know, I don't think people realize how close he became, he he was to becoming. He was a Steven Jackson pulled quadricep muscle mm-hmm. away from being the head coach. Um, you remember they went on for that year.
0: Fired Linehan, uh, yep.
1: Scott Linehan's departure was ugly. Um, Haslett took over, and they win the first game at at Washington. They come home and they beat Quincy Carter and the Cowboys 34 17, and they're killing them. And, you know, you're we're in the booth going, oh, this is this is like manna from heaven. I mean, the year before they were three and thirteen, they started 0 4 that year. And just at the end of the fourth quarter, Haslett realizes that Steven Jackson's still in the game. We're up seventeen. And just as he turns to Al Saunders and says, get him out of the game, Stephen pulls up lame mm-hmm. on that play. They go to New England the next week. Now, that was the year that Brady got his ACL torn in Kansas City in week one.
0: Matt but Castle. Matt Castle
1: yep. was playing. And they go to New England on the road, and they beat, them. they beat their butts for 56 minutes. And then at the last minute, Matt Castle hits Kevin Falk out of the backfield Pisa's got great coverage on him. He, he does everything a linebacker is supposed to do. But Kevin Fox is one of those guys who's a great receiver as a running back. Goes up, makes the catch, and they lose. I will tell you this: when no one thinks from the inside, the ink would have been dried on his full-time contract that night had they held on and won that game. I, I believe that. I believe Jim Hassett would have been the full-time head coach of the Rams had Steven Jackson and if Jackson had played, they would have won that game going away. So that's why I say he's a Stephen Jackson pulled quad muscle away from getting a shot as the head coach.
0: And Seve, our our next segment, this deserves a follow-up. People are going to love this. It's going to have to be over a pitcher beer, and we'll talk about the Linehan Spagnola years. Okay, that's gonna that's gonna we're gonna drown some sorrows if we break down that stretch of football. My God, so yeah, much 15 fun! Fifteen
1: and sixty-five. There was one point where at the three-year stretch of home
0: games, the Rams were two and twenty-two,
1: and they lost those games by an average of twenty-two points.
0: <sighs> Why did I bring this up? It's my fault.
1: Well, it's, you got to deal with it. You it's know? Facts. Sometimes you just got to
0: deal with it. Hey, Steve, so much fun. Thanks for hopping on. And uh, folks can see you in Springfield, and I'm sure pop it into St. Louis, and make sure you call him Sevy. He loves that.
1: I do love that. Thanks, Martin. Fun.
0: We could have talked for hours and hours just with Rams stories. We'll probably have Steve back on, and maybe it'll be around the Super Bowl. I guess he doesn't know this yet. If he's listening, he's finding out. We could just do it on the, the Super Bowl trips. In 99, Steve was the sideline reporter. That game itself with the Titans was a classic Super Bowl. And then the loss to New Orleans, we could break that game down. Uh, even the Carolina loss, which we talked with Mike Martz about, that was extremely disappointing. That was a team that was probably going to go back to the Super Bowl in 03. Think about that. The Rams would have been in the Super Bowl three times in a five-year window. That's just insane. But they didn't, so it doesn't matter. Uh, appreciate Steve hopping on the show. You know, he's doing news these days down in Springfield, Missouri. So if you're at the lake or you're in southwest Missouri, you're watching the TV. You're like, wait a minute. There's Steve Savard. That was a lot of fun. Really enjoyed that. And you can find all of our segments, including past segments, with the Rams president, John Shaw. We've had tales from Canton where we check in with Ricky Prohl and Jay Zygman. Isaac Bruce. Over the years, you can find all that content at ScoopsWithDannyMac.com, or also on Spotify and iTunes. If you just type in the Kilcoin conversation, you can find all of our previous segments. Always brought to you by Triad Bank, BNG Tuckpointing, Appliance Discounters, Marie Davila Senior Living, and of course, we're coming to you from the Pasta House Studios. I think we're doing it on Friday night. Kids have got some games. We're going to grab dinner to go. From the Pasta House. Get a whole meal for the whole family. Order online at pastahouse.com. Find that fresh taste difference. You really can tell the difference at Pasta House. That's why they sponsor the studios here at the Kilcoin Conversation. Appliance Discounters, great repair team. On top of the appliances they sell, they also repair them quickly. Instead of calling an 800 number and waiting a month or so or three weeks to get a repair done, call Appliance Discounters and start your shopping online at theappliancediscounters.com. Triad Bank, find out what a neighborhood-friendly bank is all about. Stop by and see him. Ask for the CEO, Jim Regna. He's a St. Louis guy. Went to Rosary, went to Umpsol. That's as St. Louis as you can get. Jim Regna is the CEO, one of the founders of Triad Bank. Bgtuckpointing.com for all your foundation, repair, and tuckpointing needs. It's Bgtuckpointing.com. Com. And Marie de Villa, Senior Living, corner of Clayton and Wideman Road. They've been there since 1960. Mentioned it at the outset, but drive by, check out the big, beautiful tree. It's a really festive spot. It'll get you in the Christmas spirit. Thanks for checking out the Kilcoin Conversation. We appreciate your support of our sponsors. Appreciate you listening to us. And don't forget, great talk with myself and Dan McLaughlin, Danny Mack. We do that pretty much every Monday or Tuesday. I think you'll like the segments. Martin and Dan just sort of riffing on whatever topic comes to mind and kind of a different role. Dan's always interviewing people. I'm always interviewing people. In this case, we just sort of bounce it back and forth. You can check out Great Talk. Martin and Mac, find all of those segments at scoopswithdannymac.com. We'll talk to you again soon.